This week, I am so excited to introduce you to Lisa Adams, a caregiver's advocate. Lisa knows firsthand the importance of understanding the stresses that caregiving can put on a person and the resources that are available. And now it is her life's work to connect other caregivers and their families with the resources that they need in order to stay balanced, to support their health and well-being, so that they and the care recipient can thrive. I know you're going to get a lot of value out of this conversation, particularly if you have a family member who has served in the military, but in any aspect of supporting loved ones as they go through any medical or personal situations where they need an extra hand. This is your time to tune in and recognize how much support you deserve as well. Listen in. Hey there, friends. Are you looking for tools to resolve stress, reliable information to support your whole health, tips to help you motivate yourself and identify when motivation is fading before it happens, implementation, accountability, and someone to remind you to celebrate even the small successes where you could find tools you can use and accountability in a community that cheers you on where information about health trends and lifestyle is reliable and straightforward. I know that you have what it takes to up-level your health habits and restore your resilience. You just might need a boost to start building momentum. I've designed a membership where you can choose the level of support you'd like to get every month, whether it's tuning in to connect with like-minded change makers or getting personalized support with one-on-one coaching to help you chart your path to success. Check out the link for the Velocity membership at happifiedlife.com. Special pre-launch pricing is now available for premium support, but you can jump in for free if you just want to test the waters. I look forward to seeing you inside. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome back. I'm so excited to share with you this conversation today with Lisa Adams. Lisa is a life coach, fitness trainer, and professional speaker. And that is really only the tip of the iceberg. She has also been a part of the military family for over 20 years. She brings a unique approach to dealing with trauma informed by her own experience, her marriage to a military member who was injured and diagnosed with PTSD in 2006. Lisa has experience working as an educational assistant, supporting students with trauma issues, special needs, and learning disabilities. She's been a volunteer with the Peer Support Program with Operational Stress Injury Social Support. That's a mouthful. For the past three years, Lisa has multiple diplomas in professional PTSD counseling, fitness and nutrition, personal training, certifications and cognitive behavior techniques, and empowerment life coaching, as well as being a Reiki master and advanced angel empowerment practitioner. She's my kind of Renaissance woman. Her mission is to educate and empower one person at a time. 
Lisa and her husband, Mike, share their story in the book, From Shadows to Light, A Whole Human Approach to Mental Health, from which all the proceeds support mental health initiatives in their home province of Alberta. So we'll have the link to the book in the show notes and hopefully remember to circle back around because I do want to explore that as well. I think it's so powerful to have the perspective of spouses. Now, as a person who's family is very much a part of the military. My father was career Navy man. My brother was in the army for almost 20 years. Everyone has their own story. And certainly through these past decades and the global situation, there's plenty of things that our service members are coming home with that they need more support with. I'm an advocate of that. I really like to shine a light on this. And so I was so excited to be connected with Lisa and to know not only about her work in supporting the service members, but even more importantly, their families when this reintegration happens at home and how they can move forward and find balance again. So thank you, Lisa, for saving some time for us in your very busy life. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you and can't wait to see where it actually goes. Yes. Thank you. And again, I've got some soapboxes, but taking care of our military members is a big one in seeing the work that my brother went through and the impact on him as he's matured and moved forward into life. Reintegrating after the military is not an easy thing, but coming home and reintegrating with your family, you know, that feels like it should be a joyful, somewhat easy time, and maybe even all the more heartbreaking when it's not. Absolutely. You know, my husband and I have been through multiple deployments and I can remember we actually got married when he came home on his HLTA in 2006. And then he went back to Afghanistan and then was injured and then flew home. And then the diagnosis of PTSD. So our first, you know, year of marriage was quite an experience to say the least. And one of the key things that I can say is when he actually came home with his injury and then had surgery and then was healing in that process before the diagnosis, there was things that were happening that was going, what is that? What are you doing? Angry outbursts and driving down the road and words he was using towards other people, especially of different races. And he's not a racist man, you know? So to see all this, I'm going, what are you doing? You know? And then one of the biggest episodes, he was just starting treatment and we went to a Christmas party and it was his unit's Christmas party. And we were there with his boss an incident started to happen because him and another fellow were the only two in our area who had gone to Afghanistan at this time. Uh, we lived on a Navy base, so Navy people did not usually go with the Army at that time. But my husband is an infantry and he's Army working on this Navy base. So he did this deployment. Him and his battle buddy came back and was the battle buddy and a subordinate of my husband's was just carrying on and wrestling. And throughout the evening, it escalated. And of course it got physical. And then the next thing that happened was my husband was up against a wall with 10 to 15 people holding him back. And he was eye lock targeted on this young subordinate. And he was going to kill him with his bare hands because that's what he's trained to do. And I am looking at him and he's literally looking completely through me and I didn't know what to do. And his sergeant at the time, because back then PTSD wasn't talked about. 
Most people didn't even know what PTSD was. And his sergeant's like, we're going to charge you. And my husband's yelling out his service number, H499, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like looking, going, what the hell can I do? And I said to him, he has PTSD. And he goes, what's that? (laughs) And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Okay. So now he didn't even know the military police were called. We got him finally to calm down enough to sneak out the back way and got us out before the MPs actually arrived there. But it was a scary thing, especially when you've never seen your husband triggered like that. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty- to really go to that, like absolutely primitive, like completely reactive stress response, you know, beyond the ability to pull yourself out and get perspective, right? Beyond perspective. That's right. So that's how my idealism of being like thrown into this military life of trauma was like, and you know, the outbursts about the driving and stuff. Well, everybody can have that. It happens, you know, people get mad, but to actually experience something like that was really scary. And I thought, oh my gosh, what happens if this happened again? And I wasn't allowed to talk about it. I wasn't allowed to talk to my friends about PTSD. I had no outlet. So it affected me mentally as well. And it's really common for spouses or caregivers to actually end up having secondary trauma. So it was like this for a number of years. We got posted to a couple of different places. And then, you know, we'll fast forward to 2015. And my husband says, comes to me and says, I think I need to go talk to mental health again. I went, okay. So at that point in time, we went as a whole family and my two young, my two sons, one was 18, one was eight, all went into therapy. I went into therapy, but I was really lucky. I found a peer support and that's through OSIS there that we talked about earlier. And there I started hearing people who actually got my life. Right. Finally, almost 10 years later. Yes. And so a year after that, they asked me if I wanted to be a volunteer to be able to help facilitate some of these peer groups. So they sent me off to Montreal for a week and I got the same training that the coordinators did and everything else, which was great. But there was still a lot of information missing. They were giving us tidbits of information, but I'm like, we need to learn more about this. So I decided to go get my professional PTSD counseling diploma, my life coach certification. And even just recently, you know, I just finished complex post-traumatic stress training and that sort of thing. And I did it because I, number one, wanted to be aware for myself, but I also wanted to be able to help my peers and let them understand, you know, when these triggered experience happen, there's a reason why it's happening. These behaviors show up because of a trigger. And there's two different types of triggers. And we need to look at your own mental health as a caregiver, because it is being affected with that secondary trauma. Then you take every other trauma that you've been through in your life. Mm-hmm. It just explodes into something different. And then our mental health is extremely affected. You know, we don't talk about the military spouses or just spouses in general who have gone through significant trauma, who are feeling depressed, who are overwhelmed, who don't know how to navigate the systems, who want to commit suicide and have. And it never gets looked back upon because of the situation. We talk about the military members and their mental health with PTSD And we talk very significantly about the suicide rate with those families, but we never talk about the military families 
and the rate of suicide there too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really an, a key piece. So what I get to do now is really work with those families and those caregivers. And it doesn't matter if it's dementia, you know, somebody with a disability, a child with a disability, whatever it looks like, we're all going through a traumatic event. And we need to understand that piece. And I meet you where you're at. We find out where your burden of stress is. And then we move forward to find out a plan that's going to work for you and how we can actually empower you. And one of the key things I've been saying, you know, quite recently is going from barely surviving to striving as a caregiver. Yes. And so when we were first connected, I resonated with your mission because in the work that I did previously, I was caring, I wasn't caring for, but I was working with senior clients in their 80s and 90s. I was actually helping them move from one home to another. So I got to see like what was in the back of their cabinets and closets, right? I got to know some things better than their own kids. But in so many situations, this is when I became aware of the fact that spouses who become caregivers often have more higher levels of illness, more complications because of the stress that they've taken on in caring for their spouse, because there's that sense of, of commitment, of obligation. You know, if anyone's going to care for my spouse, it's me. I'm up for the challenge without understanding everything that that means. And then you're in it and it's so hard to get perspective to understand what you're placing on your own shoulders in those situations, you know? And so then there's this, you know, instances where the children suddenly have, well, now both parents need more care because the caregiver has become ill or, you know, weak and and needs more support too. And it comes as kind of a rude awakening. And I think that's such a tragic way to become aware of the impact. And that's why I love the work that you're doing because sometimes we just need the recognition or the honoring of what someone is going through for someone to validate and say, yeah, it's okay to be exhausted. It's okay to feel like you're at the end of the rope. And here are some tools that can help you get your feet back under you, right? Because when you can't, like you said, that's so powerful. You couldn't talk with anyone. Like there was no social support you could draw on for such an extended period of time because you don't want to let your spouse down. You know, you want to honor their wishes and he's going to power through it because they're trained to be strong. And as we were saying before we came on on the air, you know, talking about the different fundamental stress responses to fight, flight, or freeze, they've trained to go to the stress response of fight. They've trained themselves not to retreat or to hold back. And so when you're triggered, you know, that's exactly what you end up dealing with as their partner and caregiver. Absolutely. And I just kind of want to step back even a little bit further on something that you had said. You said, you know, about the spouses taking on the responsibility because they feel obligated to or whatever. But I think we need to really step back and look at and identify who is a caregiver, because a lot of times people miss that completely. And I think it's something we really need to talk about and really start to identify with. So a caregiver is somebody who is a non-paid support person for somebody that has an illness, a disability, the aging piece. So that aging piece with dementia, diabetes, heart conditions, whatever that may look like, but it also is transportation to appointments, it's picking up groceries, it's checking in with friends who may have a mental health illness. If we look at the pandemic specifically, how many of your friends are you checking in on and making sure they're doing okay because of the isolations? And here in Canada, and I live in Alberta, 
with the restrictions. Like we're not allowed to have people come into our house right now, other than our family members. And we just opened up last week to be able to go out to in restaurant dining. And then there's very specific protocol when that happens. So if you think of how our mental health has been affected, Mm -hmm. it's really important that we understand that if you're checking in on somebody, then you're a caregiver. And where are you going to get the support and the tools for yourself? Because most people, number one, don't identify with it. And number two, they don't know where to go to navigate until they're so stressed and overwhelmed. And they're at that caregiver burnout when they go, if I don't get help, I might as well just die. Which is just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that people, you know, that there are caregivers who get into that position where just without knowing what we don't know. That's right. We feel like we have no options or support to turn to. And there are so many people, when we open up the definition to that regard, right? It's not only spouses, it's children who are caring for their parents long distance. They can't physically be with them, but they're checking in on the phone and getting that emotional impact, right? You know, there's so many new levels of engagement there. So 27% of caregivers are actually between the ages of 15 and 19. Wow. And that's such a tough time without these kind of external pressures. That's right. And 48% of them are taking care of a grandparent. And then they take care of parents, um, friends, neighbors, and siblings. So that's quite frightening. But here's even more frightening statistic is 30% of caregivers die before their care recipient. Yes, this is the number that I first became aware of that really opened my eyes. And people just aren't aware, you know, because it is this kind of societal expectation. Well, that's what you do for your partner or your parent. You do as much as you possibly can until you have to throw in the towel and then you find somebody else to take over for you, right? Or you die. Or 30%. (laughs) Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And then who can, you know, carry on and support that person who's in need? Right. And sometimes they don't have anybody else. And then they become guardian to the state or to the province or whatever that looks like. And that's a whole other piece. You know, there's so much when it comes to being a caregiver that they need support in validation, not feeling alone. Again, those tools focusing on their own mental wellness and their own needs for medical attention, because a lot of times they're so wrapped up in all the appointments and care for their care recipient They don't take the time to actually worry about their own mental wellness. And then they end up with significant medical issues. And this is why there's such a high mortality rate when it comes to caregiving. And so um, where can caregivers, because you've got, I, knowing about OSIS is so, so powerful and I'm, and I need to do some more research and see what's in my area, but where can caregivers start to find the support that will help them balance this? So a lot of times you can look at your specific illness or disability and learn a little bit about what is happening. But depending on what that illness or disability is, it can be overwhelming. And then you go down a rabbit hole of information and then it gets really scary. And then you overstress and get burdened and that sort of thing. Or you can just reach out to me. (laughs) And I'm one of the few caregiver coaches that are here to support you. I provide a free peer support group on Tuesday mornings. I have a 30-minute rediscovery call where we find out where you are at your severe burden. And then from there, we actually build out a plan 
for you because everybody's caregiving journey is different. Nobody's is exactly the same. There's always similarities and it doesn't matter what the illness, the disability, what the caregiving relationship is. There are similarities. However, the biggest thing, you just need to be heard and validated. And I will go back to the military families. If you do not know and understand, and I first responders are in this area too, what Mm -hmm. it's like to live in a family like that. And military is a family. Firefighters are a family. Police services is a family. Nurses are a family. Doctors are a family. And I I put that out there because we're seeing a lot of burnout Mm -hmm. within the first responders right now. Absolutely. And if you don't understand what it's like to be in that situation, then you can't understand what that caregiver might be going through. And so they won't trust you. So one of the key things that I really love is I can tell you what it's like to be a caregiver. I have two kids that have ADHD. I have one that has a learning disability. I had a grandmother who lived with us who ended up with dementia. I have parents who have cancer, who have had heart attacks. I get it. I have a husband who has PTSD and has that fight first response. So to find somebody that you can feel safe with is really important. And then be able to take the time and invest it in yourself so that you can have the tools to strive as a caregiver. Because if you can find ways to reduce your stress and your worry and make your worry a thought and your fear a thought instead of having that anxiety piece show up, or if anxiety shows up, how do you get through that? You know, and we can work through some things. One of the things that I love, which is really easy, which I'll share with your listeners, is when we were in kindergarten, we learned how to trace our foot with a black piece of construction paper and a piece of chalk. So you can do that same sort of thing, but in our brain. So start at the ball of your foot, go up around your toe, then your second toe, third toe, fourth toe, that pinky, back out along the part of your outside of your foot, around your heel back up around your arch, back to the bottom of the foot. And if you focus on that, that will bring that back into the present moment. And you mean still have some anxiety, then you do your other foot and do it slow and breathe through it. And that will help to reduce some of that anxiety. And that's just one of the small grounding tips that I have that we can pick up on right today. But the thing is, is again, what's going to work for you? Because what works for some people does not work for others. And we need to recognize that piece and learn what your triggers are because a caregiver is going through a traumatic experience. Yes. And this is an important thing to recognize is your care recipient is also going, you're not asking for that illness or disability. You're not asking to be responsible for it. So you need to look at every situation as a traumatic event and what can you do to make yourself feel safe and empower yourself so that you can actually get through this particular illness or disability and do it the best way possible for you. And don't get me wrong, like any sort of crises, Things do get better and then things get worse. So having a toolbox to pull from is great, but also knowing that you can go back and finding that support because it is, you know, hills and valleys. And, you know, my husband was in PTSD remission for nine years. So they said, and then, you know, crap hit the fan 
and you know, thir- 13 thoughts of suicide and, you know, aggressive behavior and disassociation and retreating and not wanting to socialize. And then when he got better, I got worse. Mm-hmm. And that's really important piece to recognize when you have the ability to go, what, what do you mean? You don't need to be helped anymore. You're doing well. Then that's when all your big things are going to come out. Right. It's finally your body's turn to start processing all of this stuff that you've just spent putting a lid on because you don't have the time, the bandwidth, you've got to care for the person that you love. And then when it's your turn, boy, <laughs> who's there to, to hold your hand, right? And pick it up. And that's why I think too, there's so much in what you were just sharing. I want to come back to, but being connected, recognizing that there are opportunities like your peer support group, you know, in whatever community that is, first responders, health situations, there are places, there are nonprofits who are starting to fill this gap, but you do have to look for them. It's hard for them to reach out and make all these connections because they're just limited on resources, but definitely, definitely put yourself high enough on the list that you start building this toolkit of the people who understand what you're walking through. So you have somebody to reach out to. And then these tools, because as I share them too, I try to remind people, this is great. I can tell you to pause and pivot and all of this, but if you don't practice it, when you're in the heat of the moment, it is not gonna come to your mind. So you have to play with these tools and explore them before you really need to rely on them. So you know what's gonna work. That's right. And when you're finally open because you're at rock bottom, that you need to learn some of these things, you need to recognize that your brain does not have the ability to hold on and retain any of this information because you end up in what they call a cognitive fog or your own cognitive impairment for a while because of the amount of cortisol running through your body. And that can be overwhelming. And with that, you feel tired and fatigued all the time. And you have emotions that you don't even know where they're coming from. And the probability of the emotion you're actually feeling and recognizing is the secondary emotion. It's not even the primary feeling that is happening. So it's about taking that step back and finding a way that somebody can help guide you and help let you learn a skill that you may not even think of. And we'll use mindset as a prime example of that. You know, many of us, when we're stuck in the negative piece of caregiving for a really long time, we have what's called a fixed mindset. There is nothing anybody can do to help bring me out of this. It's just not going to happen. But if you open up even starting going to a peer group, and learning some of the tools that we touch base on in there. So one of the key ones that we've been working on in my peer groups recently is about worry. And what is worry actually costing you? Mm -hmm. And really reflecting and thinking about it. And then how can we detach from that worry? And people go, well, you can't. Maybe you can. You just need to learn the way and how to navigate that. And that's where I get to help and come in and change that thought process. Yes. And just start the conversation. I think a lot of people, I'm married to a ruminator myself, think that worry is proactive. If I list all the things that could go wrong, I will be so prepared. And they spend all of their time working on that list. (laughs) So ironically, that's actually called a positive belief system. That's what it's called. And there's no such thing as a positive belief system. Because really, it's no different than the what ifs. What if, what if, what if. Mm -hmm. 
well, what if never comes, generally speaking. So if we're planning for the what ifs, we don't actually take the time to do things that we enjoy in the present. Exactly. Exactly. We've got to come back to this moment where we have the power instead of giving it all away with painting these wild pictures and stories. And Right. And and I just want to say, though, there is some worry that's valid. There is some concerns that we need to have. And there's stressors in our lives that we need to have. Because if we don't have enough stress in our life, we can't actually function. And if we have too much stress in our life, we can't actually function. So it's about learning that balance of stress in what worry we need to have in our lives and how we can actually plan proactively to work through it so that we're not causing ourselves to go into some sort of medical crises. Yes, exactly. And I think it really helps to consider that, you know, to think of that as a spectrum that kind of ends up in that lack of function at both ends, recognizing that there's this space in the middle of the spectrum and learning to be okay with it, right? That it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing and learning to tune in to the messages where we are, what our emotional state is, how much bandwidth we have. I think that's something we really need to respect, you know, and be able to communicate better on some days. I don't have the capacity to pick up extra pieces today. I need a little extra time and support versus, okay, I've got you. I can be here to support you today, you know, and I'm going to take a little time later to recover. (laughs) Absolutely. And when you're tired, you need to be aware and take that time to fill up your cup again. That's a really important piece that we miss as caregivers all the time because we have a to-do list that never ends. And gosh forbid, we ask for help. Right. Because we're the caregivers. We can, right. we can keep at it. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things, but it's also a control thing. Mm, Nobody's the job that we can do, right? But it doesn't matter how the job gets done as long as it gets done and the, the care recipient is doing okay. You know, one of the key things that I think is really important to also kind of bring up and it jumped in my brain as you were talking is we need to understand that our caregiving journey is based on belief systems that we have learned throughout our whole entire life. And so if we have a belief system that we are self-sabotagers and we don't do a good enough job as a caregiver, we're not ever going to be good enough and we're never going to do a good enough job. And so, cause we have that resonating inner critic voice that is always there sabotaging our thought process. And then we have guilt because we're not doing a good enough job. And there's so many emotions and things that show up, but that's when you need a coach like me to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's have a look here. I have a tool that we can go through to see if this belief system is really working for you, or if you have a decision you have to make, do, is it the wisest decision to do it based on your, what we call your emotional mind, or should we learn how to use your wise mind? And what is that about? And so it takes out some of the perspectives that we have based on belief systems we learned And then makes us be able to look at it in a different way. And whether you take that step based on the evidence or not, that is completely up to the caregiver, but it's a different avenue. And at least it's a a different tool to look at things to ensure that you're doing the best decisions or what you can do for your caregiver in the best way that you can in learning how to reduce the guilt that you may actually feel. Yes. And that power of perspective is 
huge. And just like these other tools, like as you use it over time, it you have to have a little bit of help, right? And so helpful to have a coach or be working with a therapist that can reflect back to you and help you get that perspective. And then as you build that ability, it even takes a fraction of a second in the middle of a moment to be able to get perspective and say, where am I coming from right now? What am I responding to? And what is really needed of me? And how can I make sure I'm getting what I need to? That's right. Yeah. In really just going, and sometimes you need that person to hold you accountable. We do need that sometimes. Yeah, we do. (laughs) We definitely do. And sometimes it's just going, okay, you have this tool in your toolbox. Why are you not using it? And then they go, oh yeah, I forgot about it. Right. So let's try to work it through with this and see what you come up with that problem. And then they go, oh yeah, this is like an easy problem to solve. But again, it's building that confidence, moving them forward from barely surviving because that's what happens, right? We feel like everything is so overwhelming. We have so much pressure on our bodies that we can't get through it to now I can actually be striving and I can navigate the systems. I can have the communications. I know what is expected to me, even with a personal directive or power of attorney. These are things that we need to learn about. And, you know, what are care plans and what advanced care planning and how important these things all are when you're actually a caregiver. And a lot of people don't think of these things when they're in their 20s, right? Mm -hmm. We're invincible in our 20s. However, These are important conversations to have just in general, because at some point in your life, and probably at the moment with the pandemic, you're a caregiver. And what are you doing to ensure that you're going to be taking care of yourself mentally, and you're going to be able to do what you need to for your care recipient? And that's what we really need to think about is how can we start now, or if we're not in a significant caregiving journey with a care recipient with significant illnesses or disabilities, how can we start putting those tools in our toolbox? Because we know at some point in our life, it's going to happen. And how can we be better prepared for it? Yes. And I want to make sure we touch back in on because I feel like we've kind of addressed it, but just to really elaborate or make sure people are aware of how secondary trauma can show up. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that can impact? Sure. So secondary trauma can show up in a whole bunch of different ways. I've seen it myself by taking on hypervigilance of my husband. And a great example of that, a number of us military spouses actually went to Starbucks to have a coffee and we all got there early and got our coffees and wanted to sit in the corner because we didn't want to have our backs to anybody. And that's because that's what our husbands do. And we're always vigilant to how many doors there are, where are people's hands, because those are things that we've been taught. And then if you think of another illness or disability, we'll use dementia for an example, we end up starting to think, especially when we start getting that cognitive fog, because we're getting burnt out and tired. Oh my God, we have dementia too. What does this mean? What do we need to do? And that is a traumatic experience. But just being stressed and overwhelmed all the time is that secondary trauma. And I actually have an assessment that I do that determines what your compassion satisfaction is, what your rate of burnout is. So where in the percentage of burnout you are and where is your secondary trauma? Because caregiving is no different than being a professional. Actually, to be quite honest with you, as a caregiver, 
you are providing more care than what the medical professionals are to your person. And you need to understand that you are the expert in your care recipient's illness or disability, whatever that may look like. And it's important to recognize that and having somebody to be able to advocate for you is really important because me, as somebody who's experienced in the field, sometimes I can get further with evidence and assessments, talking to like a case manager for home care, for an example, because I can say, look, this is what's happening at home. They've been trying to contact you. They do have the personal directive and you're not hearing their concerns. And I would really like to have a conversation with you based on what I have done on the assessments and showing their rate of burnout, their severe burden of stress, and even sometimes I'll do that what's called the Holmes and Rahe mm-hmm. scale and determine what their score is. And I actually had somebody, parents who scored in the 400s on that scale. And that means they're over 80% ready to have a medical breakdown. That's frightening. And they just have been powering through and not having the perspective to understand how far beyond their own limits they've been pushing themselves or how they need support from organizations and professionals, and they've been advocating for it on their own and not getting anywhere. Right. And I really love that piece too. And I want people to take that away from this conversation. So not only do caregivers deserve more awareness of what they're going through and resources to find a balanced way to carry all of that and take care of themselves. But when you reach out to somebody who has is familiar with the systems, the resources that are available, and has spoken the language, right, can help be your intermediary. So you don't have to use up what limited bandwidth, limited bandwidth you still have, and help you get the support that you need, the resources that you need. Because again, I mean, there's a limit to what's available. They're not just giving these things away, but a lot of times we deserve more than we readily have access to. And so with someone else in our corner to help us make sure we're getting access to everything we deserve, that is huge at taking a lift off of your own shoulders as the caregiver. Also, to just be able to have an easier relationship with the care recipient, right? Because when you step into all of these other roles to support, you know, it really impacts your personal relationship, you know, and that emotional bond. And when you can get back to being able to tune into that emotional bond, because you've got the support you need over here, then your care recipient really is going to flourish more easily. You're going to feel more balanced, right? You've got that relationship back that was so important to begin with. It's such a huge impact through having these resources available. It's about building a team because if you can have the support that you need and you can actually have good communications with the medical teams that you're working with, that automatically makes the care recipient's care go up. So now you have the ability to possibly change that relationship. And it's hard, especially if you have significant disabilities and we use dementia for an example of that, you still need to grieve who that person was and who they are now. And it's important to go through that loss, those five stages or six stages, some is, you know, the anticipatory part of it too, because if we don't, then we are not going to be okay. And that I think is the most important piece. You need to set yourself up so you can be successful and be okay. I'm not asking you to be great because if I said, yes, you're going to be the happiest person in your life, 
I'm full of crap, right? Like, let's be real here. We want you to have things in place. It can make your situation better, whether it's a little bit better or hugely better. That is completely, you know, based on a case by case basis. I always try to say, you know, one step forward or one piece of positive is that first grand rule of sand. And then you get a bowl of sand, then a sandbox, and then eventually you'll have a beach. We can't do it all at once. It takes time. It takes practice. It, you know, success does not come in a straight line. It's wiggly. We need to be able to understand there is going to be failures and to move through that and forward. And that's really what, you know, I'm trying to do for these caregivers is be one piece of that gradual sand that they need. Yeah. And keep letting them know where they can find more. That's right. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the book that you and your husband were a part of. Sure. So my book, From Shadow to Light, The Whole Human Approach to Mental Health, is actually a compilation book. There is 11 authors and nine stories. And the stories are all about different mental health journeys that we've gone through. So we have a naturopath who has bipolar, who has attempted suicide, who was hospitalized, We have our compiler, Olivia, who actually uh, this time last year was in the mental health hospital going through suicidal thoughts. She is still not doing well, but she writes about her experience. We have Marilyn, who actually has gone through generational trauma with the Indigenous community, addictions herself, living on the streets and homeless to prostitution, whatever she needed to do to survive. She talks about that and how generational trauma is a huge effect in there. And we have more and more and more powerful stories. But what's really great about every author is we are now working in the mental health field in some capacity. So my story itself is called Battlefield to Home. We actually talk about how military life affects the military families and how mental health and PTSD affects everybody in your whole family. It's just not the person who has been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress or an occupational stress injury. It affects everybody. And how can we understand what is happening there and how we can actually move forward? All the proceeds go back into mental health, which is lovely. Which is lovely. And I think I really love the breadth of the stories that are in there. I definitely have to get a copy of this myself and check it out because sometimes it's easy to feel, as we were saying at the very beginning of this conversation, isolated. Like you can't reach out. You don't know anybody else who has worked through this space and you feel utterly alone. And so sometimes just recognizing that there's a lot more that brings us together than separates us. There's a lot more, you know, we're, we're working through a lot of the same issues and same traumas. And so knowing that there are tools and resources and knowing that there are people who have walked your path and are moving through it. And I love, you know, we're not only hearing the stories from the other side, I'm healed and it's all great. You know, I'm still walking through it. It's a process. And I think that's a really powerful way of storytelling too. And it is a process. You're going to have hills and valleys. It's going to be good and it's going to be bad. And it's about how we can pick ourselves up when it's bad to try to find the good again. And again, it may not be the big steps that we all want, but if we are slowly moving forward, we don't recognize how far we've come. And we go, oh, wow, it was like really bad six months ago or a year ago. And yeah, it's not as bad. I actually am doing better than I was, but we don't recognize that when we're Mm -hmm. stuck in it. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's why we need these advocates to to help us out 
Keep That's pulling right. us through. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. I know that we'll find more topics to come back and visit. So we'll share this space together again in the future, but I appreciate your time today and opening up this conversation. And I hope that people really tune in and recognize just how much is available to them. So thank you, Lisa, for the work that you do and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Happified. Until next time, keep on shining.